about his ship that wrecked. The only survivor was here. After they left dock, their journey seemed to be cursed. The endless crashing waves, the ship felt like a floating hearse. Follow my voice to white sandy shores where you can rest in peace. Weary from the storm, they turned and followed her song. A trance was put on them for this world they weren't meant for long. From the mist came rocks, their jagged points loomed ahead, too late to turn around, the hull crashed and was turned to shreds. Welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd, middle initial C, Walker. Yes, that's right, it is me. And we have been listening to the song Siren's Call by Christian Rebecca, who is based out of Maryland. She's a singer-songwriter that many folks in the Frederick, Maryland area, which is my general uh, home base, know her from performing at the Frederick Coffee Company, from doing In the Streets um, on first Saturdays, and also wineries, breweries, things like that, and she's on the phone right now. But before we chat, Rebecca, I, I do want, I mean, Kristen, I want to read some of the quote press quotes from your website. First one is, The musical goddess impresses with her delightful and vibrant sound. Blending elements of Americana and folk pop, her music bends genres while gracefully creating a unique and eclectic sound all her own. Another one reads, It's as if Kristen Rebecca is a bard 
and each song is a sonnet from the modern age. Individually and collectively, her music tells many stories that reach towards the audience. And I'm so pleased to have you on the phone. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, you're, you're it's my pleasure. Trust me. Now, I know you and many people in Frederick, Maryland, where I base the show, know you from, like I said, first Saturdays, um, either on North Market or wherever it is, um, and performing. The But you're probably more of a national artist or touring artist. Would that be correct? Yeah, I started nationally touring, I don't know, maybe about three or four years ago. I started you know, doing sort of East Coast and then moving out to the Midwest because we have family there. And then I started doing national tours of listening rooms, things like that. Now, was it difficult to, to book yourself like that, being an unknown? It is. I mean, I've, I was fortunate enough to run across a couple database websites full of venues and their contact information. So that made it a little easier to sort of find venues. But, you know, I mean, you, you approach them and you're not known in the area. And um, for one of the years, I actually found some local artists to come with me and do sort of a double billing um, to help bring in audience members. Now, you do perform mostly originals. Is that correct? Yes. Now, was that something when you were first starting out, you decided, okay, I can sing other people's songs, but I would prefer to sing my own? Yeah, I um, I initially actually started in the Celtic world. So a lot of the music there is traditional and story-based. And I started thinking, you know, um, I have stories that I'd like to tell too. And so I started writing my own songs. Now, for those of uh, people listening who don't know who you are, when you say you started out kind of in the Celtic world, you have a fairly good history in the Renaissance fairs, don't you? Yeah, I've done the Renaissance Festival for about 12 years. And before then, I was playing Celtic music in the Maryland area on, at other venues, churches, um, in coffee shops, and garden nurseries even. Now, let, take me back to when you first got into music. How old were you? How did you get started? Did you come from a musical family? My parents played instruments, but they actually had stopped playing them by the time I was interested in music. So I didn't really see them play any instruments growing up. Um, when I was 12 is when I first really started to get into music. And some of that came from the fact that I had a crush on a guy who played bass at my church. <laughs> It happens to guys too. <laughs> so what was what did you just immediately buy a guitar and started to play or how did you go about it? Yeah, so I decided that the guitarist stood next to him in the band, so I was gonna take up guitar and, and join the youth band he was in and then I was gonna, you know, play next to him and then he was gonna notice me, that kind of thing. So my parents um saw I had taken an interest in the guitar and um, they've always been very supportive of me. And so they went out and got me my first guitar, which was an electric Fender beginner guitar. And um, I took up lessons from a teacher in the area and my dad taught me some as well. And it sort of just took off from there. I, I wanted to sing next. And so my parents got me voice lessons starting, I think about 13. And then I wanted to play harp at about 15. Now, was it difficult learning the guitar? I'd say, you know, I mean, elements of it were difficult. I had not played any instrument till then. So like most people, I had to get used to the pressure on the fingers and developing calluses and, and um, techniques like that. 
Well, you're known now as, as primarily, I think, a harp player, but you also play the guitar. How did you get interested in harp? That's an unusual instrument. It is. And um, much like guitar, I didn't have a lot of introduction to harp growing up. Um, I had seen the Marx Brothers and Harpo playing his harp as part of their um, sort of vignettes in the movies. Um, but it, ironically enough, I used to fast forward through those parts because I thought they were boring <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid. Um, but one day when we were in Minnesota um, visiting family, we went to this music store they had there called Growth Music. And it's one of the few music stores I've been into that is, uh, um, sells harps. They sell Celtic harps specifically. And they had them out on display. And I was really fascinated by how they looked. And I just walked over and plucked a string and walked back over to my mom and said, I want to play that. Now, did she look at you cross-eyed and say, hey, we don't, you know, I don't think so? Or how did, how, what was the response like? So she said that um, she, they would look into it, which they did. And, of course, um, harps are expensive. Even the beginning harps mm -hmm. are expensive. Um, they start, any, any decent beginner harp starts at about $2,000. Does it so really? Big, wow. Yeah. At least then, that's for lever harps. Um, the big orchestral ones you see, their starting prices are much higher. And um, so what my parents did to make sure I was going to truly invest in this is they rented me a harp first. And I started practicing and they started getting me lessons from a teacher in the area. And it just really took off from there. I got really into it. Well, you mentioned, like many guitar players starting out, the fingers hurt. Mm -hmm. But generally only on the hand that frets the strings. The other one is the strumming or the picking. Maybe if you're really tough on the on the strings, but on a harp you use both hands and you use every finger, don't you? Yes. Well, except the pinkies. Oh, you don't use the pinkies. Mm -mm. Is there not enough strength in a pinky? Is that or you just don't need them? Yeah, it's just been something that's just not done as part of at least the the lever harp world i think the orchestral one follows the same rules in mm -hmm. that capacity i think there's a feeling that doesn't stretch far enough well i would imagine having never played a harp but seen them up close and watched people and yourself specifically play them the string tension is pretty high isn't it yeah i mean i had to i do have calluses on the sides of my fingers um, and when i started playing i even got a blood blister as one of the worst sort of adjustments to playing. Well, that, that was going to be my follow-up question was how long did it take before you could play for any length of time without hurting? I would say, and especially since the hand technique is fairly complex, you know, it took me at least half a year to a year to feel comfortable. Now, how does one start out on the harp? Do they teach simple scales? Is that how it would start out? Yeah, I uh, took with, and I'm, I'm not sure she's an active teacher anymore, but I took from Mary Fitzgerald and Bowie as my first harp instructor. And um, she came from a classical background. So she taught me um, scales and arpeggios and basic um, beginning warm-ups like a pianist might see. Now, does the harp have sharps and flats? It does. Um, so you tune it in one key. I tune mine in E-flat with all my levers down. And then as I move a lever up, it moves the string up a half step. So I can move from E flat to E and for my harp. So that's how you'd get the, uh, the different uh, notes. Mm -hmm. Now, do you have to do that in the, say the middle of a song or you do that before you start the song? 
I do that before I start the song. I have a couple pieces where I will do a lever flip with one lever mm-hmm. in in the middle of the song, but since I have to do it all by hand, I can't do too many lever flips. Well, because you're using both hands mm-hmm. for the music. Yeah. Now, when you first when you started playing the harp, you were also still playing the guitar, is that correct? Yes. You just continued with the guitar or did the harp kind of overshadow the guitar for a while? Um, I would say the harp overshadowed and also when I became a voice major in college, that also sort of started taking more of a front and center um, part of my music life. And the guitar is something I still do, but I see it as more of a a rhythm guitar player. Mm -hmm. Now, how did you decide to study voice in college? Um, So when I was entering into college and I decided I wanted to be a voice major, I debated heavily about which of the three instruments I wanted to take as my major. I thought about guitar, I thought about harp, and I thought about voice, and two of my teachers actually taught at the school so I could have continued on with them in in an official major capacity. Um, And so I talked it over with my parents and... My dad and my mom said, you know, a lot of people remember a voice. So it's best if you try to train your voice to become as good as possible because people will remember that. Well, that's true. And if you are proficient vocally from a singing standpoint, um, depending on the genre that you're, you're performing in, I would think it would be much easier to transition or to get work than it would be if you were just a harp player or just a guitar player and then sang kind of um, along with it. Would that be correct? I, I think so, personally. I mean, that, that's my own personal take, but mm-hmm. yeah. So where did you go to school to study voice? I went to Howard Community College. Mm-hmm. Now, how did you go about choosing that? I had actually started there um, under their voice program as a teenager, and they have, it, they have a program there um, for, for non-majors and for kids so to speak, uh, you know, ranging from elementary school to to teenage. And I started taking from a teacher who worked there. And so I decided I wanted to continue because I really enjoyed the training I was getting. Now, for someone who studies voice and gets a degree, if they don't become a singer-songwriter like yourself, performer, what is their job or career prospect? Prospects? Um, I mean, if you don't choose a performer in any genre, um, you can become, of course, a voice teacher. Um, Some people take their their performance majors and they work in other parts of the industry. So sometimes people go into recording because they have an ear for for the instruments. And so they sort of can hear some of that and get training in, you know, the tech part. Um, Some people I know that moved on to even sort of non-music sides of the music industry where they've worked in PR or becoming a music lawyer or manager, things like that. Now, did you know when you started taking voice or uh, in college that you wanted to become a singer-songwriter, or was it more, I'd like to study voice, Let I'll figure out what I want to do with it? So my initial thought um, was that I was going to end up working with writers. I had tried writing a bit of music in, in middle school and high school. Um, and then I gave it up for a while. And I thought, you know, I'm going to get really into the industry really quickly and I'll end up hiring writers to work with me. But that just didn't end up happening. 
And so I one day sort of looked around and realized that if, if songs were going to be written for me, I was going to have to do it myself. Now, deciding that and then putting it into motion, how did you go about doing that? Uh, the first thing I did, I think, you know, what a lot of people do is they start listening. And I started listening to a lot of songs that I liked and genres that I liked. And it was sort of bounced all over the map from folk music to classic rock to pop music and just sort of like, what do I like about this music? Why do I even like this music? What What is it that draws me to these songs? And then I started thinking about the trad world I'd come from and a lot of it being very story based, which is something I realized I was drawn to was a very heavy story side. And that was something I definitely wanted to keep. And so I sat down and started thinking, okay, the story is like a book. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And so those are what my verses should be about. And my chorus should be the main point of my story. So how do you come up with your subject matter to write these songs? That can come from almost anywhere for me. Um, sometimes I get along my travels. So I wrote a song called um, Horseshoe, which was when I visited Boot Hill Cemetery, I ended up seeing a grave there that said, here lies George Johnson hung by mistake. It said, uh, he was right and we was wrong. We strung him up and now he's gone. And that really drew my attention to what had happened to this poor man. And I did a little research and found out that he had been unjustly hung for a crime he didn't commit. And I wrote a song about what that day might have been like for him. And so I do get things from historical sides. I get um, ideas from mythology, like Siren's Call. And then I get it from my day-to-day -day life. Like I wrote a song called Wackos and Weirdos, which was about my experience in the dating world. <laughs> yeah, I guess that would, yeah. <laughs> that would work. <laughs> well, hopefully they're not, not all wackos and weirdos, but I can see why, where you could write a song based on that. That's, uh, that's, that's kind of a, a cute uh, take on it. Now, was that something that you just, you were mentioning that to say a friend or your parents one day after a, a date that kind of went belly up and you, and you said, oh, I'm, I'm a, you know, I could even write a song about that. Or someone said, gosh, why don't you write a song about that? That was my mom. Was I, I had had, yeah, I ended up going on and it wasn't with the same guy. It was just sort of a period of time where a lot of the first dates had just not really gone well. And I just came home and I just, I just started ranting to my mom about this. And she looked at me, she said, Kristen, you're a songwriter. Why don't you write a song? Well, you know, being a songwriter myself, it isn't always that easy to go from, I'll write a song about that. And then trying to come up with the song. How long did it take you in that particular song? That one, um, I think that one initially, the chorus I wrote pretty quickly. And then the verses, it took me a, maybe about a couple months to sort of sort out because I'm, I'm a big going back into editing. So I usually go through a couple drafts of a song before I'm happy with it. Now, do you write the lyrics first, the music first, or both at the same time? Or does it really depend on the song? It depends. I would say I mainly am a lyric person first. Occasionally, I'll get a hook or a chorus with a melody, but the accompaniment almost always comes last. Does it really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, how do you choose as to whether the song is going to be harp-based or guitar-based? That one can be tricky. Sometimes I've gotten to a stage now where I can kind of hear it in my head where I look at the lyrics and I'm like, oh, this is harp or this is guitar. 
Um, there are other times where I actually think it will be a harp song and I'll start trying to mess with a background. And then um, I realize it's just not working. It just doesn't feel right. And so I'll switch to the guitar. I'm like, oh, yep, yep, it was supposed to be a guitar song. Well, I would imagine you can use the harp either like a fingerstyle guitarist uses the guitar. So it's kind of rhythmic, sort of bringing the melody into it. But you could also use it as the lead guitar, basically, or in place of the lead guitar. So you've got the, you know, the rhythm coming from the guitar and maybe a little bass or whatever, and then use the harp as maybe in the mix. But then it, when you go to like a, 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 which is using it, like I said, like a lead, could you do that or have you done that? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have right now, I only pick one or the other, so I'm not like into looping at this stage. I mean, I could use it as a lead, like you said, and, um, I think I've done a little bit more of that when I've worked with other people, mm -hmm. like the Celtic band I play in, but it on my own at the moment, everything's sort of used as just kind of backup purely. Well, it would be difficult in a live situation, but it may be in the recording yeah. studio, putting a, you know, laying the guitar, um, as a rhythm track and then, then, then putting it into the harp. Now that mm -hmm. brings up a, a question. When did you start recording seriously? So my first album, um, I recorded back when I was still in college. I, it was an EP. It's actually still up for people to listen to if they want to. It's called Fringe. Um, and I went into a studio in Virginia. It was my first time ever really recording the way that the professionals do. So using the click track and, you know, going back over sometimes and playing over the click track to get the right sound and everything. I had never done it that way before. I had no idea how complicated it was. And it was a real learning experience. And then next I came out with a Celtic album. Um, I went to another studio in Silver Spring. So I would guess I would say that um, I really started recording seriously in college. Now, you sort of alluded to the fact that it was it's somewhat difficult when you first go into a studio because it's not like just standing up to a microphone at an open mic and playing the song. Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't know that going in because I, even though I was obsessively watching documentaries of artists in the studio, just to try to learn about that life and that world, um, a lot of that wasn't mentioned. I mean, artists will talk about how there's, you know, it can be difficult in the studio, but I didn't really understand what that meant until I walked in there. And I, I was very thankful I worked with someone who was willing to teach me, too. Now, when you record, do you play the instrument and sing at the same time, or do you track the instrument first and then lay the vocals down later? I track the instrument first and then lay the vocals down. Now, being a trained vocalist and then also studying the harp with someone with a classical background was it easy for you to um, say count or be able to lay the track down um, I find it very difficult because I don't go in the studio very much so if I have someone who's going to play bass after the fact they need to know you know when do I come in when do I go out and so forth and of course I just play the darn thing so was that difficult for you to play without singing? It was. Um, and when I first did it, I thought I could get away with kind of humming the melody <laughs> and thinking that that wouldn't be picked up by all the microphones that were pointing at me, which, of course, it did. And the guy I was working with, Scott, um, he he 
uh, turned off the click and, and talked to me in my, my earphones. And he said, um, are you humming? And I said, yeah, because I'm having trouble keeping track of how many times I've done looped around from like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus in my head. <laughs> so how did you, I don't want to say correct that problem, but right. how did you overcome that? Do you do like a, a scratch track and then listen to that at low volume so you know where in the song you are? How do you do it? Initially, that's what we did, because that was really the only way when I first started um, that I could keep track of everything. So we just did a, scr a scratch track and then went back and did the harp and then the voice. Um, as I got more into it, I was much more able to count and sing in my head. And that's what I do now. Now, the I've noticed when I try that and I sing in my head, I'm fine for about the first half of the song. And then all of a sudden... I'll get the, the voice in my ear. I can hear you <laughs> because I forget. And all of a sudden it starts coming out very low volume, of course. Did you have that problem as well? Or were you able to um, progress forward and, and do it without making those mistakes? Yeah, I'd say like the, the my first full length album, my second album, so to speak, um, I was doing sort of a half and half. And so just to sort of get things done, we did a scratch because it was just quicker that way. But then when I went back in for my Tales Trials Truce album, um, it was a lot easier for me. Because you'd done it before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, how do you go about choosing which recording studio you're going to record at? Some of it. Um, so first thing I did was when I was looking is I wanted to work with someone who had worked with recording harp because trying to mic a harp isn't always easy and um, done done incorrectly it doesn't sound as pretty on the recording and so I went and talked to harpists in the area who I knew had recorded and I was like who do you do work with and I got a list of names and I just started contacting people and telling them about the kind of project I wanted to do and to see who was available and that's how I, I learned about the first guy I worked with and then when I was looking at my second project um, I was looking for someone a little closer because he lived in Virginia. So it was a, over an hour drive for me to go there. Um, and I reached out to some harp teachers I knew and said, you know, I know you record. This is the kind of album I'm looking to do. Do you have any suggestions? And that's how I ended up working with Heidi at her studio. And then um, with my next album, it had to do with more availability. And that's when I started working with Charlie at Tonal Park. Now, for the people listening who are not familiar with the harp and the way it's constructed. I mean, they visually have seen them, they've seen photographs of them and so forth. Is there a sound box like a guitar, the, the body of the guitar with the, you know, the sound hole, that's where the sound comes from. Where does it come from in a harp? And the reason I'm asking is then where does the microphone go? So it does, it does have um, sound holes like the guitar, except they're in the back. So okay. um, they actually lean in a way against the performer because you pull the heart back on your shoulder and um, they're facing you. So there's no real way to put mics back there. So what they do instead is they put them up close to the strings. Oh, okay. All right. Now, how do you, in a live performance, or do you use like contact pickups and things like that? Um, how do you amplify the harp? So all my harps have pickups in them. Okay. Now, are they uh, like little uh, glue-on piezos? Like K&K &K is, is the, the sound is the company I use all the time. 
or is it because uh, it's not you can't use an undersaddle pickup because you don't have a saddle. What's the pickup like? Yeah, the one um, one of them my dad put in, and he did a lot of research on that. And I'm unfortunately I can't remember the name, and I don't I don't want to guess because we we each of my harps is a different pickup in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, what he did is he puts it. It's basically attached along the side, so he had to go up in there and attach it along the side of the back of the harp to make sure it doesn't wobble too much. Now, the fact that you have a different pickup system in each one of your harps, first of all, how many harps do you own? I own three. Do you? Now, are they mm-hmm. different sizes so that they're, well, like a soprano, yeah. a tenor, and a bass or something like that? In a way, yeah. Um, they actually have slightly different sounds. So the two, I the, well, my first one was a um, Aoyama, and it's a great instrument, but I mainly use that one to rent out now. Um, to other players who are interested in playing harp or are starting up after a long hiatus of playing. Um, And then, so that one's not even with me right now. Um, My other one has a spruce soundboard, Mm -hmm. my, um, my Kamek and my other, the other one has a um, cedar. So they give slightly different sounds. I would imagine the spruce is a little brighter, isn't it? Yes. Now, so how would you determine which one you're going to use? So some of that actually has to do with what I call my indoor-outdoor harps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my Kamek is my outdoor harp. Um, that instrument has weathered quite a lot in its history <laughs> of playing. And that's the spruce has, one, right? Yes, yeah. It has survived all kinds of accidents, and it's still standing. So I'm very impressed with that instrument. <laughs> well. How many strings on a harp? 36. Well, 34 to 36. Okay. How often do you have to, because a guitar, we obviously have to tune it sometimes three or four or five times during a performance, even keeping, you know, without doing alternate tunings, or weather changes, humidity changes, tuning it at home, driving to the gig, take it out, you got to tune it again. How often do you have, do you have to do the same with a harp? Sometimes, so some of that depends on the kind of strings you use. Um, there's usually three kinds of strings harpists use, at least for love or harp, um, and that is um, nylon, gut, or um, a synthetic string, carbon fiber. That's the word I was looking for, carbon okay. fiber, which is what I use. Um, gut, all a breeze just has to come through and you have to retune. Yeah. Um, I had a couple gut strings on my first harp, and it's not something I would ever visit again. Um Carbon fiber, I have found, stays in tune well the most. And I have taken one of my instruments out where the temperature changes throughout the day and I'm outside playing, you know, six hours, and it doesn't really fall out of tune. Now, are all the strings made out of the the carbon and then some are wound and some are unwound, or do the thicker strings that are wound, are they made with a different material? I think... I think all of them are. That's, I believe, how they're sold. Mm-hmm. Um, so they black in color, I would imagine. Uh, when they break, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> I do remember that color. Yeah, when it when a harp string breaks, you can hear it throughout the whole house. <laughs> I would imagine, and it's probably not a simple process to change that string like it is on a guitar or ukulele. But maybe I'm wrong. It depends on the one. So that's that's the trick right there is that the lower strings that are wound, they actually have balls on the end like the guitars do. Mm-hmm. And you just put them up there and you poke them through the, the hole and you use a tuning wrench and you're basically good to go. 
the higher up ones, though, you have to tie a knot on the end of the string yourself and then put it up there. Similar to a nylon string guitar. Yeah. And they, well, I know the, I guess they're polycarbonate nylon strings now. They're not gut strings too much. When I say gut, I don't, it's not cat gut. But the, the problem with both ukuleles and probably more so a classical guitar is you put the new strings on, and it probably takes a week or two before it actually settles in. Do the carbon strings settle in a lot faster? No, I would actually say that my harp strings take longer than my guitar strings to really? settle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, even, and I, and I will sometimes just tune multiple times a day hoping it will help it, mm-hmm. but I'd say, you know, a month. So if you're getting ready to go on tour, you're not changing the strings a couple days before the first gig? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> now, how often do you have to buy a complete set, or do you buy them, purchase them when they break, or when they get to a certain age and you do, say, the top five or the middle ten or whatever it is? How do you go about that? How often do you change them? And is it because they start to, to become dull in their sound, like a guitar string, or is it because they, they broke? For me, it's typically they break before they sound dull. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess in that way, it's kind of a blessing. So I don't have to take out a bunch of strings. Now, there was one case where a string just kind of lost its tonality and I had to take it out and change it. Um, what I tend to do with a change of strings is I like to have two extra of each string sitting around. And so it's sort of like having a backup and then a backup to a backup. Um, buying full sets is really expensive for harp strings. You know, it can cost you 17 to 30 plus dollars a string. Wow. Um, yeah. And you have to buy pretty much all your strings separately. So you don't, you can't get like a pack typically. Um, and so I just occasionally will sit down, go through all my strings and be like, okay, what do I have? What am I missing? Basically, if I don't have two of something, then I got to go and order it. Um, usually I have to mail order it because, of course, your basic music store doesn't have harp strings. Now, when you go on a tour, do you take extra strings with you for each string? Yes. And do they come packaged, you know, wound like a guitar string does in a circle or are they in a tube straight? They come wound like a circle. They do. Mm-hmm. So you have to carry an extra bag for all your harp paraphernalia almost. Yeah, I'm lucky because both my harp bags have pockets and they're really deep. So a full set of strings can fit inside one. Well, now the, the photo for Siren's Call, you're on a beach. I would imagine that's Southern Maryland. It kind of looks that way with the, uh, you know, the cliff in the background, but I could be wrong. Is that... that well, it's a dark stained harp. Is that the spruce or is that the the cedar? Do you remember off um, the top of your head? I want to say that one is the Kamek. Okay. Um, now, are both the spruce and the cedar the same size? They're just different no. woods? Uh, no. So that one is the spruce. Um, I just saw the picture right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, the cedar is slightly larger, taller-wise, but... Partly it has to do with the legs. Oh, like what it's standing on? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, because of the size of them, well, first of all, do they do you have cases for them or just kind of bags? How do you transport them or keep them when you're not performing or not playing them? So I actually have them out. I have them standing out because I typically have one on each level because I don't like taking them up the stairs. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then when I go and want to play somewhere, I uh, take, I have a case for each one, a soft shell case. You can get hard shells, but those are really expensive. Um, and then I have to flip the harp over, screw, unscrew the legs, and then put the harp in the case and the legs in the case separately. So I would imagine when you tour and you go, say, to Texas or California, wherever you're going on tour, you're not getting on an airplane. No, not at this stage. <laughs> yeah. So you really have to plan your route. Yes. And I, I'm lucky I have help with that, actually. So I, I plan the gigs, um, but then my dad, who accompanies me and also works as my sound tech, too, um, helps map out, you know, where we're going to stay between shows. Now, and this is all pre-COVID, um, obviously, because there's not much touring at the moment. But when you would go out on a, a tour, how many dates would you go out for? I know it probably changes, but what, in general, how many do you try to um, set up? I mean, my, my general rule is I will take as much as I possibly can fit into a year. Um, so that can never mean, you know, one to two shows a day. Um, but you know, when you're on the road, of course, sometimes you're traveling eight hours between venues. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would say, you know, about a hundred. Okay. Now, do you tend to go out for weeks at a time or a week at a time or a month at a time? And of course, I'm sure it all changes depending on which route you're taking, but what would be, if you're setting up a tour where you want to end up in California, what's the time frame from the time you leave home until you get back home? It depends. Um, I think the longest, because I go in chunks now. I mean, it's it's been changing, so I think the number I gave you actually is a little high but for, for amount of dates. But um, the longest I've been gone for one tour is like two, two plus weeks okay. at a time. And then I come back, and then we go out again, and then I come back, and we go out again. So you've put miles on your automobile. Yes. Now, what I'm just curious, what do you drive? Because obviously the harps, if you're taking, and you take both of them with you, I'm assuming, plus your guitar. Yeah, I mean, it depends. I've, I have been starting to travel with both harps. I used to travel with one, and then, um, you know, it sort of hit us what would happen in the middle of the show if a strung broke. And I've had that happen mm -hmm. even just locally. And that was a real pain. And one way when I accompany myself is I use the entire harp. So there is sort of no getting around using strings. Right. Um, so we started traveling with two. There's a van that we take typically. I was going to say, go because out. a harp isn't going to fit in a normal trunk. No, it, <laughs> it does fit in the back seat of all of the vehicles that my parents and I own. But, you know, that's one harp and a guitar. <laughs> now you... In all of your, or most of your press photos, you have your tailor, which I know you've mm -hmm. had for quite some time. But in many of the live videos, you're playing what looks like a, a double O or a, a single O. It looks like it might be koa back and sides with maybe a mahogany top, or maybe it's all mahogany. Is... Oh, that's my Northwood. Yes. that I did not have my Northwood when those photos were taken. My okay. Northwood is new. I got it when I was in Nashville uh, performing at a live stream down there um and it's uh it's a handmade guitar i think they're in canada they are this is where the company is yeah yeah, yeah i'm trying to remember the owner's name and I, I do know it but i don't say it very often so i can't remember mm -hmm. but the from what 
I have, and I've looked for used uh, Northwood guitars, and you don't find them very often. And I think the reason for that is the people who purchase them don't let them go. Yeah, the, this one was a rare find. So I, do you know Carter's in Nashville? I know of it. Yeah, that's the vintage yeah. guitar shop, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm literally floor to ceiling guitars. Yeah. Um, and um, it literally is just sitting there, just among a bunch of acoustic guitars of all kinds of brands. And I was just drawn to it because partly because it's so pretty. (laughs) (laughs) It is um, a nice looking guitar. Yeah. And they told me that someone had come in who had bought it and just decided they didn't want it anymore. The person had basically never played it. It had never been taken out. And so I actually got it as a discount price because it was technically used Mm because it had been with another owner. Now, is it all mahogany? Is that what the uh, woods are? Um, the side, I believe, is maple. Oh, okay. And the top is cedar. Oh, okay. But it's got a nice stain on it. Yeah. Very, very pretty. The Now, is that the guitar you take out on the road most of the time, or do you take both of them? No, no, just my Northwood. Mm-hmm. It's, it's smaller, easier to carry. Mm-hmm. And I like the sound a lot. It's more of a, I guess I would call it more of a folky sound. Yeah. I mean, tailors tend to be a little brighter and shimmery, um, which are great as a, a background guitar if you're playing with a band, uh, but they don't have kind of the warmth that other guitars maybe have. Like when people compare Martins and, and Taylors, or if I see one that's handmade by a builder I don't know of, so I can't look them up, I'll say, well, is the sound more Taylorish or Martinish? If they say more Martinish, then it gives me an idea. And same with the Taylor, but. The, uh, from what I can hear, now what do you use for pickup in the Northwood? I'm trying to remember what the actual brand is called, and unfortunately I don't remember offhand. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's all right. In many of the videos, though, um, you're actually miking the guitar, or do you mic it and also use the pickup? Because it sounds like it's miked for the most part. Yeah, and a lot of the videos I do, um, the live the live streams or the live music videos I've done, they do mic it. Uh, when I actually perform, though, we plug it in. Right. Well, it's just too difficult with uh, mm-hmm. room noise and all kinds of things, especially if you because I know you perform with a band once in a while, and it's mm-hmm. problematic to have that microphone sitting out in front. Now, yeah. Ho- oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> now, the um, Holly Montgomery plays bass for you quite a lot. She, it was so wonderful to get to meet and work with her. She played on my last album. And then when I did the album release, um, I asked her if she'd be willing to play with me as just because so, the album has a full band sound. And so I was hoping that we could sort of recreate that uh, for the album release. And I asked her if she'd be willing to come play with me that night. And she did. And for the folks listening who don't know who Holly Montgomery is, she is best known as a bass player, but she is also an accomplished singer-songwriter playing a six-string guitar. I've had her to the Sunday Songwriter Songfest years ago. Uh, She's just so busy now, I don't get to see her in the Frederick area much, but she's a very talented lady and very nice, I might add. She's really great as a person and a player. Mm -hmm. So how do you go about, well, you say you still play in a Celtic band, is that correct? Yeah, um, a lot, most of it is at the Maryland Renaissance Festival, but mm-hmm. we also play a few other areas, a few other venues in the area, like the downtown Holiday Market. Now, is that a, a, a group of people, group of performers, where you've 
the core has pretty much stayed the same over the years. So it's very easy to go out. You don't have to, you know, learn a new person's technique and try to, you know, wean them into the process. Or do, do the members change depending on the date? So it initially started out with my parents and some friends of theirs. And I actually wasn't initially a part of the original Celtic band. And then when I picked up harp, I joined. And um, I think at our fullest, I, I'm trying to remember, was three other people and my parents and me. And then um, life just kind of got busy. One of the people moved to another state. Another guy got busy with work. Um, and so it just ended up becoming my parents and me. And um, it's just been us ever since. So how, which instruments or how, how's the, the, the trio, your parents and yourself set up? Who plays guitar? You play harp, obviously. How mm -hmm. do you, which instruments are played and who handles most of the singing or does it depend on the song? So I, I'm basically the vocalist. There are a couple songs we do that are sort of meant to be kind of sing-alongs. Mm -hmm. So my parents also sing on those pieces as well. My dad plays the Bauron, the guitar, oh, yeah. and the um, octave mandolin, as well as the Irish bazooki. And my mom plays tin whistle and hammered dulcimer as her main instruments. My dad also does play low whistle as well. Um, and I play harp. I sometimes play guitar, especially when my dad is playing Bauron um, on some of the pieces. And then I also sing. The Bauron is, you know, it is a very simple looking instrument. And watching people play and then one time trying it is a very difficult instrument for someone who's never played one, in my humble opinion. But it makes wonderful I, sounds. Wonderful oh, sounds. Yeah. <laughs> I tried messing with it once years ago and decided that I, I'd picked my three instruments and I was good. <laughs> so what is the best part of playing in Renaissance fairs? I will tell you that, you know, Playing at the Marijuana Sons Festival has been one of the best experiences I've had as a performer. And I've had, a, I've had so much fun at all my venues. But there's something about that venue. And for starters, the camaraderie among all the performers and cast there is incredible. It's just this amazing family. Um, but on top of that, you get experiences and practices there that you wouldn't get at other venues. Um, you're, I do a lot of street performing there, so I play among the past is where I'm assigned, as well as some of the smaller stages like the Bower. Um, and people will come up to you in the middle of performing and start talking to you. People will decide that they're going to dance while you're playing. Um, people will walk past and then turn and ask you for directions when you're in the middle of a song. So it's just it gives you experiences that you wouldn't ever have. And so it also has taught me a ton as a performer. And it probably helps with hecklers. Not that the it, people are heckling you necessarily, yeah. but if they're asking directions and you're singing, you have to learn how to graciously answer their question or push them off without losing the song, I would imagine. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, it's it's uh, it, my parents will all of a sudden do like a little interlude and I'll try to help them figure out where they're going, then we'll just roll right back into a verse again. <laughs> <laughs> now, who chooses the costumes? Is that individual or do they give them to you? When we first um, got accepted to play there, because it's an audition process, um, she gave us a guideline of what she wanted performers to wear and then asked us to please show her what we were picking out since it was our first year there. And we showed it to her and she said everything was fine. 
And since then we know what the guidelines are. So we know we have, we can pick and wear. And so it's all up to us. The cast is different. So the actors you see, they have costumes made for them. Okay. Now, do you make the costumes or are there online resources that you can order, you know, different dresses or like for the, whoever, if you want to wear a hat, you know, that you can purchase them or do you have to make everything? Um, most of what we have, we've bought from people, either vendors there, because there's always people there who are, who are selling clothes that um, will make you feel like you are part of the Renaissance Festival. So that's sort of outfit and attire. Um, other things we've ordered online. Um, and one, one um, chemise my dad made for me because I didn't have one and he just could put it together easily. Oh, and our cloaks. My dad made our cloaks. Now, I'm just curious, what material are the cloaks made from? I want to say part of it is cotton, and the other part, I think, is, um, I forget that shiny kind of... Kind of a satiny kind of... Yeah, something like that, yeah. yeah. And, you know, there's a sort of inner layer to keep you warm. Now, I have a question going to your Tales, Trials, and Truths, which is your most recent CD, I think, isn't it? Mm-hmm. How do you come up with the title of the CD? A lot of what I do for titles is after I put together a track list, I kind of look over what the tracks are saying to me and decide the title needs to embody the overall feel of the album. Um, and it gives people, because I think when I pick up a CD and I see a title, it makes me of already sort of hear what the CD is going to be like before I've even listened to a single track. Mm -hmm. And so that's something I like to do with my titles. And for Tales, Trials, Truths, the idea was that the tales are, are stories from my life, stories I've picked up while traveling, stories from friends of mine. And some of them are good, and but they're all true. And some of them are bad as well. Some of them, the endings are not always happy. So what are the trials? So the trials are, um, like I have a song in there called Gone which is about missing a loved one after they've died and you, you sort of hear and see them everywhere. And it's very hard, hard to, to grieve and move past the fact they aren't there anymore. Um, Horseshoe I have on there, which I, I talked about earlier, which of course is about a person who unjustly died. So those are two of the songs. And like how that. about, how about truths? So all of them I would say are true either in the sense that they are his, based on a historical event or on an emotion or an event in my life or, or someone who I know's life. And how do you go about choosing, because on that particular CD or album, uh, there are 17 cuts or 17 songs. Mm -hmm. Did you have 30 you started with and you whittled it down to 17 or you had 17 that you thought, well, I have enough now and I like all of them enough. I, I'm going to make a CD. How do you go about choosing which songs go on which CD? Yeah. So two of those songs are actually covers okay. um, that I have on there. Blame it on the moon and ready for the storm. Um, and, and the rest of them was I had been writing a lot and I decided that it was really time to make another album. And so I wanted to get all this material. I mean, not every single thing, but the good chunk of the material that I had written and just put it on an album. Now, when you say you had been writing quite a bit, what type of production numbers in a time frame? 
It really depends. And sometimes, and I'm one of those people that will have a couple songs that are half finished and it takes me a bit to come back to them. So it's not uncommon for me to be working on three songs at a time. Do you ever find that you're working on, say, two songs that just you can't seem to finish them and then suddenly you realize you put them together and it becomes one? Yep, I've had that. And other times I've uh, worked on one song and realized that it actually needs to be two. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting process, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And the, what I find very interesting reading about songwriters and then talking with songwriters for this podcast is every one of us writes in a different way. There might be some similarities, but every one of us has our own unique, I don't want to say form, but the process we go through. Yeah. Now, do you, did you kind of borrow a process from someone you might have heard in an interview one time or read about, or is it just strictly how it works for you? I think mine is sort of strictly how it works for me. And a lot of it is because I sort of based it off of how I heard authors talk about writing their books. Um, the idea that you sort of make an, an outline of an idea you want, and then you write a beginning, a middle, and an end. And that's sort of how I see, I typically have three verses. That's actually sort of changing now, but that's um, typically first one's beginning, middle, end. The chorus is the main point. A bridge that I sometimes add, sometimes don't. Um, to me, might be sort of a side thought that sort of helps meld everything together. Now, what part of the song is the most difficult for you? Is it the, because you had mentioned earlier that you came up with the chorus first. I, I can't remember if that was Siren's Call or whichever song you were chatting about. Is that generally how it works? And then you, or do you start with verses and then say, okay, I have to write a chorus and maybe I have to write a bridge. What works for you? Or what's more, the <laughs> most difficult part? Let's put it that way. I would say that if I don't have a main point, like a chorus, then it's very hard for me to write the verses. Um, now, it has happened in reverse. Siren's Call is one of those cases that I started working on verses, I think, before I did the chorus. I believe that's the one I did that with. But mainly if I don't have a, a knowledge of, like, why am I writing this song, then I have trouble with the verses. So it's almost like someone who's writing not necessarily a novel, but a long story. It's almost like you, you come up with a, a, not a table of contents really, but you kind of figure, okay, it's going to be about this. So I need to do this, 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 and this in order to say this, or is that yeah. an unconscious thing? I think initially it was unconscious, but then when I started really getting into it, I realized that, um, yeah, this is how, this is how it, um, is, it works for me. Now, I'm looking at your, on your website, I'm looking at music achievements, and you've got quite a list there. It looks like there's probably about 12 things on that list, and one of the things that jumps out is your CD or album. I still call them albums. I have to force mm -hmm. myself to say CD, but so many people are now putting things out on LPs or digitally. It's now an album again. But it says, Tales, Trials, and Truths played on over 130 radio stations in the U.S. and also played in Europe and Canada. How do you go about getting radio play? So for here, I actually worked with a company. Um, I worked with the Planetary Group for my Tales, Trials, Truths album, and we did a full launch on stations. And then in Canada, I came across a couple stations that online that I, I contacted and I said, hey, would you be interested in playing my music? And they agreed. 
And then the the Europe one um, surprised me. I ended up getting a tweet from a radio station one day that was like, we're playing Kristen Rebecca's song, you know, listen. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> now, what was your first song that you, at least that you are aware of that got radio play? Um, that actually was a Celtic album. I released and I actually did not find out about it. I'm not even sure how these stations found me, but I occasionally will Google myself. And, and I found out that a couple of the tracks from there had been played on a radio station. Now let's see, we've got harp, a couple of harp societies in there. Harpist of the day, um, first place in age category um, of the Richmond Highland games, which I understand are a lot of fun. I've never been, but I have several friends who've gone to that. Um, an associates level recording academy member. What is that? Yeah, so um, I got accepted uh, to be part of the Grammy um, uh, recording academy who does the Grammys. Wow. And so a couple years ago, um, they allowed me uh, to become in after I submitted. So I was very excited to be able to be a part of them. Now, for to have one of your songs looked at for an award, or to be more like a judge. Uh, so I'm non-voting. I can't. I can't vote. That's a, that's associate membership. Means. Okay. So what is your role? <laughs> it's a it's about a community. So I've been able to go to events in the area um, that they have with other people and get to network and learn even the ins and outs about the academy that I didn't know before. Hmm. And it says your um, song Wackless and Weirdos charted in the top 10 on Radio Guitar One. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I was excited. That happened more recently, actually. Um, I found them online, and again, it was one of those, you know, would you be willing to play my music? And he said, well, could you send me a couple songs? And I sent him a couple, and they chose that one. I just got to watch it rise, and that was a lot of fun. Now, do you, do you sign on to either BMI or ASCAP or any of the licensing I'm group. BMI. You're BMI, okay. Mm-hmm. Now the um, how do you, well, this past six months has been difficult for live performances. What have you been doing since you really can't travel anymore? What's what's the 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 virus world for Kristen Rebecca? Um, so, like a lot of performers, I was really depressed. Um, when it first hit, I had had a pretty big year planned, and it was really devastating to um to to have watch all your shows kind of collapse you know in front of you um so i kind of went back into where i knew comfort wise and started writing and i started listening to a lot of fantasy movies shows music um reading fantasy books it's kind of a place i go to when i find life a bit upsetting as i love to escape into a fantasy world and I came up with an EP I'm planning to release this year. I've finished the recording. The mixing and mastering has to be done with it. And um, it's called Realm of Enchantment. Now, the how do you go about, and I'm sure this is, you're not alone in this. I mean, my performance schedule is pretty much local, a little bit regional, just because of my work. I can't go too far out. I um but how do you go about planning for the future if there's no place to play now? Because I would imagine for 
all these performers who had dates. And I did talk with Tom Kolhep, who produces some big shows, and he said that the problem going forward is so many of the people who had their dates canceled have picked up future dates. So trying to find an open date to, to do a, uh, a show is very, very difficult. Are you, how are you, can you plan in the future or do you have to just do a wait and see? Um, so I'm picking up socially distant shows in the area. Mm-hmm. I finished playing one at Anne Marie gardens. Um, and I, that was fun. It was called arts walk and they had us all outside masks on. If you were participating, unless you were singing, mm-hmm. all the audience was away. Um, and then I performed at a mini festival hosted by the mutiny pirates bar in Elkridge. Well, I'm looking at the list of past venues you performed in. We've got Michigan, Colorado, New Jersey, Maryland, Nebraska, California, Oregon, Arizona, Illinois, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, New York, Georgia, Florida. Gosh, I mean, you've been all over the United States for the most part. Yeah, it's been really exciting to watch where this career is growing and um, headed. I, I... I'm currently in the process and have, um, and I think COVID sort of stalled some stuff, but have been submitting to labels and Mm -hmm. I'm sort of waiting to hear back. Um, again, COVID has stalled a lot. (laughs) Sure. Now of all the places you have performed in all the venues, and that could be everything from a winery to a coffee house to a concert stage. What are your top two favorites? If you have them. And it's, it's hard because um, they're so different, the places I've played. Um, but there was one before the country shut down at the beginning of the year that I played at um, that was in California. And I'm trying to remember the name of it. Um, and we got the opportunity to be in this really close-knit community of Oh, the student old town Cottonwood. That's what it's called mm-hmm. um, in Cottonwood, California. And this amazing family who has a ranch out there and also has a, a venue that they host in in town um, is a listening room and a bunch of people come out and you have dinner before the concert and you play to a listeners who just really want to hear your stories and your music and then um, are really supportive. I had a DJ who was came that night who took my album to play on a station and other people bought albums. And then afterwards the family lets you stay on their ranch. And we got to go around the next day and we got to meet their llamas and we got to meet the horses and their goats. And it was just a lot of fun. It does sound, it's almost like summer camp. Yeah. (laughs) Well, let's see the, um, we have a new world surrounding us now, unfortunately. Um, but so many performers like yourself have made lemonade out of lemons, at least as best they can. Mm-hmm. The, um, how, what do you want to see happen in the next year? I mean, I'm hoping, and I, I think I'm one of those, you know, like everyone who's hoping that there will be starting to, as a, hopefully a vaccine mm-hmm. comes out. I mean, you know, I don't know when that will be. Of course, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of articles say, you know, spring is probably the most optimistic time is seeing maybe. And I've seen this now. A lot of venues start hosting more socially distant shows. Things are outside. So I, I think there's a way 
for it to happen. You know, I mean, some people are virtual as well, but I, I think there's a way that the world will open up again, even if it's slightly different than what we're used to. Mm -hmm. Very difficult to make money uh, in a virtual world. Um, yeah. Uh, Facebook or or YouTube. Well, YouTube, um, if you if you get enough hits, you can actually get some advertising revenue out of it. In fact, there are several performers who really they've started to perform live, but they started out strictly just as YouTube performers, and they make a full time income from that because of the ads. Mm -hmm. So, have you do you have your own YouTube channel? I do. It's a uh, Kristen Rebecca TV. I believe is what it's under. If you type in just Kristen Rebecca on YouTube, I pop right up right away. Um, I have started to look at expanding that. Um, I have original music on there. I have some traditional music on there. Um, I'm looking at now sort of expanding into other types of content. So right now I'm putting together a video, um, and it's mainly for harpists, but it's to show how to tie a harp string. Oh, well, Corby Lenker, who's out of Nashville, very, very accomplished singer-songwriter, mm -hmm. one of his first YouTubes was How to Tie a Bow Tie. Yeah. <laughs> and he got, in fact, that's who I used when I needed to tie a bow tie because I had forgotten because mm -hmm. it had been so many years. And I think because of that, he had so many viewers. And then when he started, he got followers, and when he started um, you know, putting up his music videos, people started to gravitate over to the music. So he built a listening base based on a bow tie. So maybe tying a, a harp string is, is one of the ways to do it. Yeah. I mean, I'd watch it I'm just hoping. out of curiosity, <laughs> not that I play a harp, but. Well, this has been fascinating. Now, do you think, you know, having known you for a number of years, but really just seeing you occasionally, the, do you, because you're much more successful as a touring performer than most performers in this whole uh, Maryland, D.C., Virginia area, um, because you, you do go out 100-plus states a year, well, when you can, um, across the country. Does it feel like you're more successful than other people, or is it strictly just, well, this is what I'm doing and it's worked so far? Um, I guess... I, I try not to do too much comparison because I feel like, you know, when I talk to a lot of musicians, they have areas of success that I'm still looking to, to try to be successful in. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, everyone has areas where they are, I don't know the right term, but maybe just a bit more accomplished in that. You know, sometimes I look at a player, I'm like, I really wish I had their technique down. You know, another person has their social media way just off the charts. And I'm like, I really wish I knew how to do that more. Um, but I, I would say, you know, I just I try to focus on competing against myself more than anything. Well, you seem to have done a fantastic job. Mm -hmm. You have a, a very unique sound, which is a plus in today's world. Because if you listen, when I listen to my XM um, Sirius radio on the coffee house, for the most part, all the younger males sound pretty much the same. All the younger females sound pretty much the same. And then when someone sings and has a different sounding voice or they're playing a different instrument, my ears perk up. And the fact that you play harp um, and you have more of what I would call a theater sounding of a voice. I can picture you, the first time I heard you sing, I thought, gosh, you should be doing Broadway shows. The, um, so you have that unique sound, 
the way the songs you write, they're more like, they're almost like short stories in a way, as opposed to being musical poems. Although I'm, I'm sure if I sat down and read many of your lyrics, they'd be almost poetry, but kudos to you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, um, I was very fortunate that I had teachers early on that, um, when I would say I, I wanted to sound like a certain performer I admired, they said, you need to figure out what you want to sound like and you need to sound like you, not like them. Yeah. And I, I really started experimenting because of that. Well, you've so far you've done a great job and I wish you continued success. Hopefully this whole new normal is not normal for very, very long. And we, those of us who are performers can get back to indoor performing again. I agree with you that it's been wonderful that we could do social distancing venues at wineries or wherever it is. Uh, but they're few and far between, and as we get into the winter months, they're going to disappear until late spring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you again for chatting with me. The show, for the people listening, will be listening to the show, but just so you know, um, we won't tell people necessarily what date we're actually producing the show, but for you, it'll be on air later this evening. And I'll probably send you a quick email just to say you're live. Oh, great. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you so much again for hanging in with me for this little over an hour, an hour and almost 10 minutes. How about that? It went by quickly, didn't it? It absolutely did. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks again for having me. Oh, you're most welcome. We've been chatting with Kristen Rebecca. And Kristen, you have an absolutely wonderful rest of your day. You too. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was Kristen Rebecca, and uh, what a fascinating conversation that was, learning about the harp and how you play it and how you learn it and changing the strings and things like that, and also how she writes. And we're going to finish up the show with a song off of her Tales, Trials, and Truths CD or album, whatever you want to call it. It is titled, Can I Be Honest? Wispy Mom Music Acoustic Radio podcast series is produced by Todd C. Walker. 
from the Wispy Mob Music Studio in Frederick, Maryland. All the music on the podcast is played by permission from the artist. If you are enjoying the series, please feel free to share the link. wispymopmusic.podbean.com It's wispymopmusic.podbean.com Or you can find the show on either iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening. 